Hello, and welcome to the Bright Spots podcast with Bushan Goel. It brings forward conversations and interviews with insightful people driving important changes in society and work. Topics vary a lot, but the common thread is people committed to advancing how we do things through timeless human values and purpose-driven work. Thanks for listening as we welcome the dawn of a new Monday. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Bright Spots podcast. After a hiatus of sorts, I'm back here today to speak to David Osborne. Very excited to have David of Team Theory here as my guest. I worked with David and Michael in a kind of intensive format in New York this fall, and I became really excited about the work they're doing. They are, to say without exaggeration, that they're revolutionizing hiring. They have a lot of insight about how the status quo model of hiring broken or at least stands uh, to be improved quite a lot. And they have, they have models and research and experience that helps people see hiring in a very different way with, uh, with results that are very exciting. So I'm glad to welcome David today as the first of a three-part series we're going to do. I'm going to welcome his partner and uh, co-founder, Michael Wyant, next week. And then we're going to bring back Nita Baum along with Michael and David in the first week of 2018 to do a uh, kind of panel discussion on this. So welcome, David. Well, thank you very much for having me, Prashant. Um, it was a delight to work with you. I would agree it was intensive work, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was arguably some of the most important work that I've done personally over the last four years. And I think as a company, I can't, can't say enough about how important that work was for us and how much I sort of respect your insights and your ability to see what's best in us and as bright spots and, and also see where we could uh, stand to improve and get there. So when you asked me to come on the podcast, I was very honored and I'm, I'm happy to yeah have, a, have an additional conversation with you about some of the things that, that we've got percolating right now. Really cool. Thank you for those compliments, David. I'm glad we all felt, I should say, Michael, Nita, and you and I all felt just a lot of enjoyment in that process. So it's really cool to, to hear how that's going. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into where you guys are, are now. And maybe we can just start in a really general way where you can start by, how would you describe your work? Yeah, so we work with founders, team leaders who have big aspirations and are at a point where, yeah, they see really exciting big things down the road. They feel urgency to get there and they're having to make a change. Hiring is critical in that context. And primarily, you know, day to day, we're working with folks who are making what we call high stakes hires. It feels that way. It feels pressure, whether that's because they're a startup and they've got to hit their next round or they've got investors asking, hey, what about this? Or they've got to make a move uh, for other business reasons. Hiring is not working for them. They feel a lack of confidence. 
they they're probably good with people in general, but something isn't and it's something isn't working well. And it really goes, as we say, sort of beyond recruiting. It's not that they're not meeting the right, maybe they're not meeting right people, but it's just something's off. Maybe they've had a tough experience. They've hired and fired someone they thought was amazing. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was someone who was in a network that was really trusted. And so what we do is we get them, we sort of sit shotgun with them and get them back on track. And we bring a methodology that's more robust. As I said, we go beyond just recruiting, which is critically important. And yet, Sort of not sufficient to really making sure that you get someone amazing in the role. One other thing we do as part of our pro- process and our work, our partnership with our clients is we, um, we help them get back in touch with the idea of what's possible for their business and themselves. And, and we truly believe that one person, um, this idea of a 10x person, right? You hire a 10x person who changes everything. We don't really believe there are 10x people, but there is definitely 10x fit. And when you get that right person with the right team at the right moment, suddenly huge and awesome things become possible. And it's like the kind of things that as business owners, as entrepreneurs, we we dream about when we're like going to sleep. Those things can become possible once again. And for a lot of these people, the, the difficult hiring situation has made that seem not a reality. And suddenly it's it's back in the game. And that's that's pretty cool. It's pretty inspiring. So yeah, that's the kind of stuff we do. Wow. What is it about your clients that indicates that something is off about their hiring process? Like what are the symptoms? And to even take it a little bit further, what is it that you see about hiring in general that you see stands to be improved? Yeah, good question. So the, the, the three cases we see the most commonly or the three reasons people come to us is one, we, we literally hired and fired someone we thought was going to be awesome and we don't understand what happened. Mm-hmm. They looked amazing. They went to an amazing school. Uh, they worked at an amazing place. They were in our network. They were, rec- they were good at another job. What, what happened? And now we're in, in a hole. The second is I've seen dozens, if not a hundred, I talked to someone who's seen a hundred candidates for a VP of marketing role. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, when do you sleep and or do anything else in your company? That's so much time. And others that's interesting is they're like, we don't even know what this role really is. Maybe we've talked to people, maybe it's pivoted. And maybe we're at a point where we're like, it's clearly some kind of hybrid and maybe the team agrees, maybe they don't. Like, it's not clear where the obvious source of sort of incongruency or, or indecision is. But like, they're like, we don't even know anymore what this is. So maybe, is it a senior role? Is it a junior? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Like, we don't really know. And we don't really know what we need. So they're stuck. You know, they're really stuck. And it matters. It matters a lot. Like, not a little. This is definitely, they are losing sleep over this. And they've sought help in various places and it hasn't worked. I think to your question of what this reveals is, first of all, people, recruiting is synonymous with hiring. I totally get why that is, right? If you don't have people, who, who, do, who are you going to hire, right? People are really important. And obviously, I'm you know, very pro-human. Um, so, so human's very important. Recruiting, what recruiting refers to is meeting people like connecting with them and then getting set up to meet with them. That's it. That's recruit, right? And sometimes it means like be nice to them so they say yes, but not really. So that's, in- that's the first thing that's really interesting. The second thing is 
how people perceive the like why they would want someone to join their team and what would be good about it. There's this is a bit deeper, but we do see that people often think of people joining their team as if they are plug and play to be inserted and then almost like they will derive value from them that is a fixed amount of value. Mm. So it's like the fantasy football version of hiring is like if I've got Tom Brady, I don't know how many points he's going to get me this week. It's a number, right? He's going to throw a certain number of touchdowns. Last week wasn't good. I don't think he did. I don't think he threw a lot of touchdowns. I think he had some turnovers. But in general, tender age of 40, he's still doing great. So he's going to get me some points. We, di- we do not believe like science, our experience shows us that's not really how it works. It's more like they will work with us and we as a group will get results. Um, But this is a definite trend that people focus on. I'm going to get a person. They will bring a certain number of results like value. I just got to predict. I've got to get better signals to how much value they'll bring, which um, we think creates a bunch of challenges. Um, And then, so so those are the main things we see. Um, This fixation on or making synonymous recruiting with hiring and then people only have a certain amount of value and that value they bring is not with us. It's just separate from us or exogenous from us. So those are two big trends. I really like that fantasy football analogy that you just brought because it seems so apropos. It it really seems like that's what people are doing. It's like, if it's just about these maximum points and it's about, plug and play you take one guy off sort of out of the pool and you put him on your team and he has such and such qualities then the outcomes of the team are are maximized somehow and there's very little little feel for fit how people sort of move and flow together and i feel like an other analogy that might be fitting here and maybe a little bit more extreme is almost like mining, you know, it's like, you're yes, <laughs> yes, human resources. Like you're trying to extract something, you know, you source human resources. Yeah. Right. I think that is based in something. How much did you source? Are they a good one or not? Right. Right. And so, so what if we try to work through this together, David, like what are the beliefs about, people and about how systems work driving that way of approaching hiring yeah and i think that's a fabulous question you bring this up with michael also because he is this is his baby which is it's about mining it's like gold it's like a resource that can be run dry or can be can be run out um i think in, in no order here are a few things that are going on in terms of whether it's mining or the Tom Brady fantasy football effect. Mm-hmm. One, there is a sense that people are static, that they are some way and that that's how people are. I think that's one. Similarly, I think there's this idea that you can measure people that and, and you can measure them. And because you can measure them, some people are good and some people are not good. In the world of HR hiring, particularly startups, there's a lot of talk about A players and B players. We have a Slack, we may or may not have a Slack channel on our team of stuff we read on the internet that we think is um, wrong around hiring. It's bad advice. 
And there's a lot of very successful people who are investors or startup people who say things like, A players get more A players, B players get more B players. If your team's not right, you should replace them. There's a sense also, and I think this is particularly noticeable to us in startup land, that like people are replaceable. Uh, why just get one, just get the other. And in the name of getting the result, the end result, people are, are resources you can plug in and use up. At its most extreme, this is a bit of a matrix situation. I don't mean like Neo seeing beyond it. I mean like the, the re- reality of it where you have humans as like batteries to the machines. Yeah, it doesn't feel nice. You can even measure people. So that's what happens with the scorecarding a lot, I think, where people say, oh, um, all right, well, I see this candidate. They went to Harvard plus 40. This candidate went to a community college minus 10. How many years have they worked as a salesperson? Plus 20 every year. Oh, they've only worked two minus five. It's all capricious, yeah. right? And, and it's, a, it's an attempt to corral people into a model that doesn't really describe how we work, which is together, always right. um, in relationship. And creates all these weird other dynamics of people searching for something that's true and never sort of finding fulfillment. I think there's huge amount of imposter syndrome that arises out of this because if we're busy, you know, if we're spending time labeling other people is not good enough, like clearly something in us is feeling that, you know, instead of thinking about the possibility of growth together. Yeah, those are some really interesting ones you touched on there. And what was coming up for me as I was hearing you speak was this remembrance of some historical references of how business took shape back in the early 1900s with Frederick Taylor and what was then called scientific management. But Frederick Taylor, for those who don't know, was a guy who went around with a stopwatch and did time and motion studies and was like totally focused on stream of like, how did the person move their arm? And was that a wasteful movement? And it was a really mechanistic model. Historical artifacts that really aren't relevant and they're very dehumanizing actually. And so it's like, if we think of it less as a machine, but as something much more dynamic and agile and flexible and creative and spacious, you know, like our, our guiding, our guiding references need to change. Yeah, I I love that. And we've thought a lot about the impact of the industrial revolution and this focus on efficiency. What's fascinating about that is it's, um, it's, I think your listeners would like this, although some of the folks we work with, we wouldn't put it this way. It's a highly deficit-based mindset, which is the idea, because if nothing else, the, imagine if you're on an assembly line. My, um, my, my grandfather worked on an assembly line, uh, and my grandmother, when they dropped out of school in eighth grade uh, in New England. So this is real. The best you could do was make no mistakes as you turned pieces. Right? That's the best you could do, which to me, getting back to sports... The best you could do was hit a single. I mean, which and, and the work and not strike out, really. You could get to first base. You, there was no possibility of a double, a triple, not to mention invent an entirely new game. And I think that there's this real collision people experience in hiring because they're carrying these two things separately and they're holding them and they know they're incongruent and they don't know what to do. On the one hand, 
they're like, I work in a startup because I believe in invention and newness and innovation, the knowledge economy, right? I believe that a small group of people can change for the better the way the world works. On the other hand, hiring and the modalities and realities and status quo of hiring says, I should look for someone who is the best butt in a seat, which, who won't screw up, who won't be toxic. And a lot of our clients talk about, I want someone who's not toxic. I want someone who's not terrible, who doesn't ruin our culture. Okay. This is interesting because I feel like we're touching on something very interesting now. It's like if you're, uh, if you're a hiring manager and you're kind of on the hook to the rest of your team about who you bring in, then it pays to make the safe decision. Nobody's going to fault you for getting the white male from Harvard. That's a great decision if you're looking for safety. But if you're looking for somebody who can create innovation, making a little bit of a fringes type hire just because there's something exciting and dynamic about the person or there's something that just feels intuitively like a good fit with your team, people might criticize that or people might not understand where you're coming from. So there might be this natural orientation because you're also trying to live into the expectations people have of you in the job and you want to, um, you want to be received well. I, I totally agree to build on that or, or complicate it. You also want to, I think there are some people who want to avoid, um, there is a stronger incentive in some situations to avoid doing the wrong thing than to do the right, right thing. Right. So hiring someone who doesn't work out is bad, but if you're doing something that looked good to everyone on the team, then you're somewhat blameless. And to some degree, there are these well-recognized, although scientifically and totally unproven things that you can do. You can hire the white guy who looks like the other white guys on your team. He also went to you know whatever Ivy League school. Everyone will nod and say, yeah, we can trust him. Even if he turns out to be a total dud, because like the fact that you look like me, for folks who can't know, um, has no no indication. There's nothing. There's no relationship between how I look and what job I do. How I'm going to do at a job? Nope. It's not a good predictor. <laughs> Science proves it. This is done. This is a done thing. This is like Peter Drucker proved this 55 years ago, definitively, right? And yet we still do it. And a lot of what I, I haven't thought of, thought about this in a while, and I've observed it. That when people get together and they're all sort of nodding along and wanting to not screw up and you're the one whose butt's online because you're the hiring manager, you're like, well, if everyone thinks it's fine, why don't I do it, right? Why can't I just avoid it? And I think one of the things that jumps out to me is there aren't a lot of alternatives for these people. Like I have empathy for these folks. I'm not blaming yeah, them. Absolutely. Right? What? Because what is the, the, alter, the alternative in that context is to just be a renegade and go out on a limb. And I've got tons of stories of people doing that where they said, you know what? This person didn't fit the typical mold either because she didn't look like other people or he didn't have the typical background. I just went with my gut and I decided this is, this is a hill worth dying on basically. Wow. And by the way, the pro proliferation which is also an apropos word of war metaphors and hiring is probably second only to natural resource mining kind of stuff. That's very um, telling. Oh yeah. That's lots very, of, that's amazing. Oh yeah. War. People feel embattled. 
right? People feel embattled um, and it feels combative and strange and foreign and, and hard. Um, so, and, and full of enemies in any event. Yeah. So people do this sometimes, right? But again, it's all based on the same stuff, which is gut feel guessing. Like people are guessing, right? Um, and that's a, that's a hard place to be in when things matter a lot. Um, we do not believe you have to guess, right? If you only view hiring as recruiting, you're guessing. If you look beyond recruiting, there's a world of science and methodology available to you to figure out upfront, map your business needs to a human person who could do it credibly well. Like you can do this work. Um, you can match with, you can meet people who, who you presume fit that mold. And then you can be rigorous in your matching to do common sense things to help you get over the biases that are big and small that we all carry. So, so we estimate, or we have observed that most of our clients or people we're working with about 20% of the time, if they're good are hiring someone who has a 10 X impact, which is like, they're amazing. We wouldn't trade them for the world. Based on the last 104 people we've hired that we've surveyed three months after, we think if you apply what we're calling the beyond recruiting methodology or the 360 fit to really figure out fit for you, you can get that up above 80% reliably. That's super game-changing. What of that method can you help people understand a little bit better and say, okay, that sounds like something I could be interested in working with? Yeah. It's, it's actually fascinating because we simultaneously think that what we do is not rocket science. Full disclosure, my roommate from undergrad has a PhD in astronomy, like in <laughs> rocket science. I don't understand. This is understandable and yet it's not right. intuitive. Okay. So we're in that strange space where like, I mean, it's not hard to find someone who does hire, who hires people. Everyone is involved in this. You don't need a PhD from Harvard to do this. And in fact, that may hinder you. <laughs> The basic idea here is that when you're, when you're hiring someone, what you're looking for is you're looking for deep fit, right? What we would call 360 fit. We call it 360 or 360 degrees because you're, you're really looking for fit that accomplishes a bunch of things across two axes. One is you want to find someone who will help you hit your big business needs, right? They need the hard skills, soft skills to do that. And then they also, that's part of culture too, right? Which we define culture as they, how you work together to be successful, right? And that's real. Culture is very real. It's observable. And you need, to, you need to hit both of those things. So that's sort of one axis as we think about it. And that's important. That's not it though. The second level, and this is where you get deep, even deeper fit is, you need someone who can help you win today. What about the future though? What if you could hire someone who's not just great for you today, but is also great for you in the future, and whether that's three months, six months, a year down the line? And we think that's possible. So that's our orientation, and that's about fit. And as I mentioned earlier, sir, we view this as a three-part process. The first is mapping, which is work you do up front before recruiting, which is crucially important. The second thing is meeting, and that's meeting people that you think are going to reasonably do a good job of meeting that 360 fit, right? They're great for your culture. They're great for your business. They're good for you today. And they, you have a pretty good sense that they're going to be good for you in the future. And the last thing is matching to say, well, how confident are we that they're going to be great for us and fit all these things? Um, we employ, in the, in the, you keep using the, the threes on the theme of threes, we encourage our clients to think about three sort of things as they're doing all of these processes. One is start with strengths. 
um, know the strengths of your own team and also see the strengths of candidates, right? Why, why strengths? Because a good 360 fit, like a deep fit, the kind of person who's a 10x fit, by definition, will bring their greatest strengths, their superhuman strengths, their superhero strengths to your biggest needs, right? And by contrast, someone who is not that strong in the stuff you need them to be amazing at will never cause a 10x fit. They're not going to be passionate about it. They're not, it's not going to be their main purpose, right? I can do some Excel for you, for example. If you hire me to like transform your analytics department, you will be sorely disappointed, right? <laughs> um, it's just not my greatest strength, right? Yeah. I could probably hire your analytics department, but I can't <laughs> do it. So strengths is one. The second one is focus on what is unique. We have there, this is one of those things where it's like, it's common sense, except no one does it. We all have, we have this strange tendency to genericize our experience and expect that everyone else experiences things similar to what we do. And I think in Prashant, your deep work with people, you've probably seen this a lot, that we have blind spots about what actually is unique about us and about others. And that this creates all sorts of confusion. For sure. Right. It's probably the number one reason why people hire and fire is because they didn't quite, they made some assumption, assumptions about themselves and their own needs and assumptions about how someone else would work with them. And then they started working with them and they're like, oh, this is, this is hopelessly wrong. What they actually mean is it's subtly wrong, but that subtle difference and those assumptions have led to big misses. So by focusing on what's unique, you can gain real clarity about what you need and how you're different and how you're special and also see it in, in other people. And that clarity and vision is huge. The last thing that we talk about is prioritizing. So prioritizing really speaks to, ultimately, this is a question of like making good decisions. There, there's a bunch of awesome economists out there talking about the, the theories around decision-making, good decision-making, and constantly prioritizing, not just in terms of candidates at the end, but throughout a process, we've, we've observed is the best way to make consistent decisions and do so with confidence, which most of our clients lack and most of the people we work with lack, right? Either they don't think it's possible or based on the results, aka only hiring 20% of outstanding people. They understandably lack confidence. And so we embed, our, we're very results-oriented. We're very work-oriented. Like we like getting the stuff done. With our clients, we work with them until they hire someone amazing, always. That's, that's why we do this work. We don't want to just give a recommendation that sits on a shelf, so to speak. So the prioritization is really about making better decisions. It's also sort of the antithesis of what we see really, I mean, the way this shows up in a way that I'm like, okay, this is not priorities are laundry list job descriptions. And most job descriptions are um, nearly incomprehensible to me in that they make sense. Like I get the words that are being said. I have no idea who'd be good at that job or not. I mean, I do this for a living. I interview people all day long. I talk about jobs all day long. And most job descriptions I read, I'm like, I have no idea who would be good for this job and who wouldn't. Whereas when we're working, we say the, a good job description does one of two things. One is Prashant reads it and says, oh my God, this is for me. It's transforming humans through a value-based and sort of deep connection with people. And I would be awesome at this. This is a dream job. Or, you know what, this is not for me, but it's, I'm going to recommend it to my friend David. He'd be amazing at this. Yeah. So I'm going to start with that last point and then zoom out and make a more general point about what you've just shared. 
Um, this last point, you know, like the laundry list thing, it, it, all of the things seem to be focused on um, quantitative type measures or things that are very superficial about a person, not aspects of them that, like you're saying, they don't really give you a feel for who they are. It's impossible to realize deep fit with the standard job description. I, and I think that even the orientation towards deep fit and this 360 element is, is amazing. And when I hear you speak, I agree that it's not rocket science, but there's also a lot of clarity and a lot of structure and understanding that naturally comes across when you speak about it. Feeling that I get is almost... If you're in a company, you're in a startup, whatever your situation is, and you need people, you're growing, and there's something dynamic about your business, and there's a certain delivery you're trying to realize with your clients or customers, who you're working with and what they're bringing to the table, if you haven't thought deeply about the process that you're utilizing to bring those people in, it's worth saying, what are we actually trying to realize here rather than just borrow a standard status quo thing that has shown itself to be remarkably ineffective and that you guys are talking about bringing a science to it. And, and like you said, it can be taught, it can be understood, it can be penetrated. But I don't think a lot of people out there have given anywhere near the amount of thought to this that you guys have. Um, so I've been doing this for four years. Uh, I know more about hiring than anything I know about. And I've like, I'm the kind of person who reads books. You know, I, I know about some stuff. It's, it's deep, man. It's really deep. Uh, and I think you're right. Like what you were just describing super resonates where someone, and it's not even that they're being thoughtless. It's just like when you're in day-to-day -day mode, that's where your brain's at, right? It's like, it's like if someone, if you're reading in English and someone starts speaking to you in French, you're like, what? This is like a shift. It's like a different language. And part of what the science of hiring says is that if you want to, again, 360 isn't just about culture and business needs today. The dyna dynamism is hiring someone who will be good for you in the future. It requires you to step out of the day-to-day, -to, -day, to find some space and think about, think more deeply about the long-term, right? It's long-term thinking and it's, it's deep thinking. And it's also, a, you know, the to hire really well, you got to know yourself well. Um, so like anything that is transformational, and we do advocate for transformational versus sort of transactional hiring, which in this case is very much like see people as valuable working together to do big things versus see a person only in terms of a total number that you think you could possibly get out of them, right? As if you're extracting an, you know, energy from coal. <laughs> so, I, but it's a big deal and it's not obvious. And I think that's true, right? And we have spent a ton of time figuring out. And basically what we've done is we've synthesized our own experience from working with, I think it's the point, we're with over 50 teams, um, hiring several hundred people over a course of time, high, high stakes roles, like where it really matters. Those, those, we love those people. 
like we love their passion and their passion for their business. Um, in another life, I was just a cheerleader. I just like love hanging out with people who are doing awesome stuff. It's very inspiring. Um, I, I like to help them and bring more rigor to doing it and, and actually hitting their goals. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. It's super interesting. I, I, this is, I've never had a job this long, right? Before this, my longer job, longest jobs were 18 months. Um, this is super interesting. I'm not going anywhere on this stuff because it goes way deeper. And it's, yeah, it's really cool. I'm just, I'm just remembering some research from, uh, from a Harvard Business Review article that I came across. Um, it's from, actually, I can, if people are interested in referencing it, it's from the April 2014 issue. And it's uh, two researchers, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy, they were looking at, at companies and they were saying, they did a bunch of research to identify that the single biggest waste of resources in companies is the way they phrased it was excellent. They said that they were doing a second job that no one hired them to do, which was to preserve their reputation. And you can imagine like how much people are like projecting some image and, and just Meanwhile, being in their own humanness and they're not able to express like what's challenging for them or, or whatever. And that, that there's probably some gold if you're talking about what's challenging for you for the culture, you know, or at least being able to be yourself in that the relaxation that can happen and the impact on innovation that can happen through that, you know? And I feel that's so directly linked to everything you're talking about. It's because it, it gets at this thing that we're both really interested in is what is the future of work? What is the dawn of a new Monday? What does that look like? How do we evolve our work? And it's recognizing the dynamics of how things happen inside of us and then how that collectively expresses in our organizations in ways that make all of us less happy, you know? And, and if we're less happy, we're less effective, you know? And so when we're talking about hiring and we're talking about bringing people in, it's, that's going to be such a chance to say, who are we and what is our culture about? What are we trying to realize? And how do we do this in a way that is actually part of our broader objective of, of how do we live good lives, including work. I, I love the way you said that. And it's something that has become really obvious to me, which is when I hear about someone hiring someone new, I'm like, oh my gosh, congratulations. That means you're doing something yeah. awesome. Clients are hiring you. You've won a grant. People believe in you. And now it's time to expand your work. And it's also an opportunity to step back, recognize that, and through that recognition, say, what else is possible? Because if this is happening, I bet I need to reshift my, my, my targets, right? I bet something even bigger than I thought is possible. And a lot of times this happens to people and they're surprised by it, right? Like they'll work with us and we'll hire, we'll hire someone for them, you know, with them. They do the hiring. We're just coaching them through it and providing this process. And they'll say, I didn't even realize this was possible. Right? I thought this person was a unicorn, right? Which really what they're saying is, I didn't know I could be successful. Wow. Right? That, that, that expression of other as, as mythical was really like, I doubt myself. And I get that too. 
we don't doubt them. We see them and we're like, we don't, no one's hiring if you're like not successful, if it's not working. And it's also totally cool if your business isn't working and you can play with that. And, and I think that's awesome also. But when it's rolling, something good is happening. And we think hiring is an amazing opportunity to, to do that recalibration, to step back, to have some long-term thinking, and then bring on this, this amazing person who can take, you've already hit something that now is, is beyond your expectations, go even higher, right? Go even higher. And um, we see a direct relationship between people's mindset and their ability to and willingness to think big and what is possible in terms of what they're hiring for and who they bring on their team. Um, and amazing things happen when people embrace that, that more expansive. Wow, I love that, David. I really love that. I, I feel like it's about bringing this intentionality into that process and seeing the opportunity to revisit, you know, is there something that needs to be adapted? Is there a way your bigger picture needs to be expanded? And in giving yourself space to do that, to step a little bit out of the day-to-day -day execution and knowing that your day-to-day -day execution is going to benefit through what that could easily be called an investment. I would love to, turning it to you a little bit, what is it that, that is so interesting to you about this? What motivates you to do this work? So I was working on the Obama campaign as a product manager in 2012. It was a fascinating experience. It was really hard. I don't think I was a particularly good hire, <laughs> which isn't to say I'd be good at a lot of jobs, but this was a particular job working. I mean, it was literally working with the founder of Craigslist, the second person to join YouTube. Uh, I mean, these are like high profile people. I had never been a product manager before and I was supposed to like make their lives better. I didn't even know what their lives were, right? I was not prepared, right, in terms of skills and experiences to do this work in a way that like in retrospect, I think I was okay. I like learned as hard as I could. I would literally work 12 hours a day and read all night and like soak it up. And I'm a little bit of a zealous learner, but and nevertheless... I came off that and I was thinking a lot about work and teams and a lot of the stuff I knew was through sort of in disarray and friends uh, who had worked with me on the campaign were starting a company based on um, some technology and ideas they'd innovated. And they were like, Hey David, we know you're figuring some stuff out and you're reeling a bit work with us. Um, hiring is a big deal. We are passionate about it. We believe in culture. We come from progressive campaigns. We want, you know, we believe in diversity, inclusion. Um, we are also engineers mostly, and we need uh, people who are awesome at machine learning. So if we want to build a family, that's great. We want it to feel like a diverse, multicultural family, but with a real abundance of folks who um, know about Bayesian mathematics. So so I said, cool, I like that stuff. And they're like, the thought of working with a recruiter is ter terrifying and terrible. Uh, these people don't know what we need. They're not bright. They don't code. At the, I'd taught myself some coding and data and had been around it and got it. And they're like, just work with us. We'll figure it out. Um, and we trust you. And so I did that. And it was so interesting to see my own questions about myself and thoughts about team played out in the hiring process with these folks who I thought were exceptional, right? I'm super talented, definitely going to be successful. And I saw a lot of the dynamics we discussed here 
um, where we would do a great job recruiting. We'd get them in front of amazing people who are coming from Amazon and all these other places, Google. And yet things would fall off the track, you know, go off the tracks. You know, people weren't in alignment and they were, you know, starting to get at each other and not really understanding what was going on. So that led to me being like, okay, there's some better way here from a workflow perspective and really, really helped start to see some really great results. And that was awesome. So the point is that that was four years ago. It's been a bit of an accidental journey. When I reflect back now, I'm like, yeah, I know why I like this, right? I grew up in a family. My dad was the first one to go to college. His parents, you know, his dad was in the army and then worked in assembly line, some odd jobs. Started as a teacher and then became an architect. And when he was laid off, he started his own business and he worked for himself for 20 years. My mom came from a very professional family. She was the first one born in the U.S. Uh, her, her brothers were born in Israel, Palestine. A lot of people got grad degrees. She sort of felt like she had her own path to, to go through and bounced around and became a teacher. And then was really excited about literacy and working with kids in middle school who were really like, books are the worst, and started being a big proponent of some alternative models to teaching kids. She was really passionate about it. And became, you know, really took her work seriously. She thought this was important. This is a way to transform lives. My dad too. And so I I grew up talking about this all the time, right? What your work you do matters. This is the way you contribute to society. This is how you can be your fullest self. And in my mom's case, she had some really uncomfortable experiences in her school setting where she felt like she was sort of either passed over for other people who were honestly men. Or she just was like, it wasn't like meritocratic. It was about other things. So I had these, these were some of my influences growing up. So when I happened to be in a position where I was like, I think I have my own business. <laughs> I didn't realize that. And I think there's hiring and team stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and like I also said, I just, I think business is awesome. I think it's the best part of capitalism is this pure, like pure capitalism is this idea like, Hey, Prashant, I, I heard you have a challenge. Do you want to talk to me about what's hard for you? And I'm like, how, if I, and I have like, I think I could solve that for you. And I'm like, how, how, how much is that worth? Assuming that, you, you know, how many dollars or currency is that worth for you? Oh, okay. That, that would be great for me. And then you say, yeah, I'm going to pay you. <laughs> I'm like, that's amazing. Right. There's so much so honest about that. Like you're not, you don't have to, you're not being forced to, you have lots of options. That's amazing. And the fact that it actually works and actually delivers, I mean, that's, I just think business is awesome. So I guess to, that is to say, I'm really, I really am supportive of our clients. I think the stuff they're doing is awesome. We, we do tend to work with people who have a mission behind what they do. They, they're, whether that's for their families of their employees and themselves, or it's the world, or it's their community. I, I love that. I want to see them be successful. And it is a bummer. It, it keeps me up at night that like hiring is holding them back. Right. Um, so I, I want to fix that. I'm urgent to fix that. Um, but it's just fascinating work. And it's a great way to sort of engage with people on stuff that's really meaningful. So I think that's that's some of the some of the pieces that really move me. about yeah, the work. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, David. It's nice to hear it on a few levels connecting to sort of what was the recent history with it? What is the background and your roots with it and your, you know, in your family? And then also what is interesting on the level of just how you relate to society and conceptually. Yeah. And then on a higher level, in terms of this stuff, that's more in the line of the world of work. um, I just think that so much more is possible. Yeah. And, and we are, there are the, 
structures that we're living within that it's not unlike the matrix. Like once you take the blue pill and step out of some of this stuff, you're like, why, why do we even have resumes? I mean, there's so, there's no predictive value in resumes. I had a conversation the other day with someone about LinkedIn, about like, there's so many things you could, people spend so much time preparing how to talk about themselves. Why are we still using this like dates and jobs instead of like the really impactful, meaningful things that could cut through a lot of the BS about that exists about this? I don't know uh, why we do that. Um, hiring processes in general have not advanced. Most of the clients I'm working with, I'm like, if, if my mom were describing the hiring process at her middle school 30 years ago, it would sound exactly like what you're doing. There was a culture interview. There was a skills interview. You asked them to do some kind of random tests that you made up. Uh, it has not evolved. And I think in general, our work structure, so much has. I can work here. I'm in Brooklyn. I can talk to you. You're in Hawaii. Um, I, can, I can travel to Hawaii and work with you. I cannot. Um, that's amazing, right? We've overcome a lot of the space issues. And yet some of the things that ways we work together have not evolved to meet our needs. I hope they will. I'm really hopeful that they will. And hiring is a huge barrier to forming the teams to just being in a position to, to do amazing work. The data that has come out around Silicon Valley and diversity is horrifying. This is, a, I think, a big sort of clarion call to folks or should be. If you don't think this is related to hiring, I, I don't know what to tell you. And I think this is a, related to a lot of the myopic way that we and fixated way that we view people as just having a value and they're good people and bad people and they're good A players and B players and higher education doesn't help because it's just reifying this stuff. Same group of people go to Stanford every year um, and eventually become my clients. That's not, <laughs> not and, and it's not that they're bad, but there's so much more that could be done. And there's so many examples of bright spots of where this is happening and people are moving beyond some of these I would say sort of at best arthritic and at worst, just like restrictive structures and, and trends that, and patterns that we, we live into. And I, yeah, I, I really see, I think, I think we're ready to take a big leap. Um, and I, in my mind, I think hiring is a big part of that. And I think we're ready for a new, you know, viva la revolucion, you know, we're ready for a new way and people are hungry for it. No one's like, you know, it's awesome hiring. No one says that. <laughs> I, I take a lot of calls about this. I'm like, how's hiring going? At best, it's like, mm. fine. Because what they really mean is it's not top of mind. No one, no one loves this, and it's, I think it's the next, next domino to what fall. What you were just sharing, David, I found very energizing. You know, I found like you were really speaking from your heart there about what you see and what you're experiencing about the world of work and that it's worth questioning traditional stuff that is no longer working that we are doing just purely out of habit. And we haven't gone into how does this continue to serve our needs or not? How could this be improved? And I would say some of what you were bringing there, I think, brought us together somehow in the first place, you know, is that we're both really interested in getting closer to the ground, getting closer to reality. What actually works. Hopefully that's what the direction we're continuing to evolve towards. When I call imaginally being about the wisdom economy, it's the same thing as everything you're describing. It's, it's about doing things in better ways 
I think is about multiple dimensions. It's about, it's about us being more effective. It's about us doing things that we traditionally associate with, with business success because those things are relevant and important. Those things don't go away, but they also don't preclude how fulfilled we feel at work. They don't preclude how, how happy and how engaged with each other we are, how good we feel at the end of the day when we go home that we contributed to something meaningful. And everything you're saying is about that. It's penetrating these layers that lie on top of of how things could be that need to be peeled away because they're just super outdated in the way the the level of thought that is being reflected in those things yeah and i love i love the use of the mm. word penetration because i i do feel like that's that's and and really to the, to me that's understanding and vision it's not actually yeah. the physical it's it is attitudinal yeah. and mindset you know, the, the other thing I would add to that that is fascinating is like, I think people want to be there. When I was talking about no one likes the way hiring is, that's true. I don't think people do. I think some people benefit from the current modalities, namely people who look like me, like white, white dudes with <laughs> weak beards, like do great. And this. They do. They do great. And there's lots of data around that. And we all see that and experiencing that. But I also think people want more. I, to the degree to which they're in touch with that, it's almost like the idea of Buddhism, right? Like your Buddha, you are already the Buddha inside of you. You just don't know it yet. And I think that for work, one, one of the ways that I think about my work is, one, I'm very empathetic to why people are doing things the way they're doing it, because why wouldn't they? What, what in their lives has given them any indication that things could be different and that they could be different when it comes to hiring? What's the alternative? Really, if you're a successful person who has grown up in this space and really you've launched a company or you've gotten startup funding, what alternative do you have to have from relying on recruiting and your gut? I don't think there's a lot. So what I view as my responsibility is to present a credible alternative. I, I don't know if we're like the green party, <laughs> but, but being out there and really say, like getting our viewpoint out there so people can opt in. And I don't think it's the only other way to do it either. I mean, it, it's what makes sense to me. And I think the results are pretty great. And I think it is aligned with how I, the future I want to live in, uh, uh, especially the future of work. But I just think there are just lots of other ways we should happen. And, and I, I think that's, uh, as a practitioner in this space, I think that's important, right? Giving people a credible alternative to the current modality and status quo of hiring, which is monolithic. And no one seems particularly to like by the way, this is the downside of capitalism. So I, I think that's really the, the upside. And, and I'm really inspired by that because I think people are hungry for I think for people change. are so hungry for change. And I think you just described it well. And I, I love how you see your responsibility because uh, a lot of people don't have references for the fact that anything else exists. They don't see that there's an option, whether it's hiring or whether it's a number of other things people are dissatisfied about in their lives, like how to deal with their own minds, for example, alternatives exist for that, you know? And, and so I love that you put it that way, you know, bringing a credible alternative forward. I think that's what it comes down to. And I, I want to encourage you to continue to share your thought leadership in this field, because the reason why we're having this conversation is because I find it really innovative. I find it really exciting. And I'm hopeful that people are going to catch on to what you guys are doing. 
Yeah, I guess I guess it's probably a good time to to start to bring it to a close, David. Uh, do you have any kind of closing remarks you would like to share with our audience today? I think this is exciting. I think it's awesome that you do this, Prashant. I mean, I love your work. I've benefited personally and professionally from working with you. I think you're just dope. And I think you're the reason I, I feel like we're in the same tribe is that we are we're really out there putting ourselves out there, giving it our all. And, and sometimes that means, I have said this to you. I mean, one of the things I really love about working with you is you're not complete and that, and you're in process and you're figuring it out. And I'm like, Oh my God, thank you. Cause that's how I feel all the time. And I, I don't think that many people think that that's okay. Right. I mean, I don't think societally we think that's okay. And I think that causes a lot of this other nonsense. The other thing I'd say is like, I am a, I love partnership. I love working with people. I don't think that, you know, there's a reason our company <laughs> is called team theory <laughs> It's because I, I love working with my colleagues. You're going to be speaking to Michael, who is a, just like a savant on this stuff and, and just like a true inspiration, Brittany on our team. And then we love working with our clients. We learn a lot from them and, and increasingly building a community of partners. So I'd also say that if people want to get at me who are, um, if they're hiring, obviously we'd like to help you know, bring that to the next level. But if they're doing other related stuff, like hiring is just the entry point to working as teams. There's a lot of other meaning. You work with teams like like mine, it, where we're really like figuring out what's really at the core and at the root, super important work. We know people who do that kind of culture work and are incredible. We know people who do work for figuring out what's beyond current opportunity and I love all that. So I'd love to be connected to folks like that. I think the future of this is that we have more in common than, than different. And, and I'd love to be part of something that goes, starts with hiring, but, it, but goes far beyond that sort of the full life cycle of teams. So that's, a, that's an even bigger sort of piece that I've been kicking that's around. That's awesome. Thank you, David. And I feel like an invitation when we come back in, in week one of January is maybe we'll talk about some of the broader implications of all of this on the world of business and you know you, you started bringing in capitalism today those might be interesting topics to revisit and i'm going to be really excited to put this out and for people who are interested in revisiting their hiring practice this is going to be a great a great conversation to hear so, my friends, thank you for listening once again to another episode of the Bright Spots podcast with Prashant Goel. My guest today has been David Osborne. You can hear him as a guest again soon enough on this show. And, and you can visit them at Team Theory. So thank you very much and all the best to all of you out there.